thank you uh, for the praise team. They, they just never know where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do. So it's fun to have people that just love praising the Lord and have a good time. And I appreciate them so much. Appreciate them, would you? You can appreciate them. I appreciate them. They don't do that for applause. We know we're not performers. None of us are professional or have any hopes of ever being professionals. But we hope to lead you to the throne every Sunday. Uh, we met Thursday with a professional church audio technical guy. And uh, Ben and I took him to dinner first. And, and he, he asked me a question about what's your goal? What, what are you trying to accomplish with... Uh, I can take this out. That's what it is. I don't know what happens if I, uh-oh. He said, what are, you, what are you trying to accomplish with worship? And, and what do you hope to accomplish live streaming your worship? And I explained to him that everybody who's ever come to Oakwood has told us, we said, how did you hear about us? They said, well, we watched you three times or so online, then we decided to come. So I don't want it to be terrible. We're working toward being better online. Could you turn that down, Phil? I'm just really loud. Um, and then I said, but worship, you asked me about our purpose statement for worship. Why do we worship? What do we hope to do? And I said simply this, we all come hard-hearted. The week is very long and the week can be very hard and difficult, work, school, kids, family, you name it. Um, and so by the time we come to church on Sunday morning and we barely get here, nobody's telling the truth. We're all fighting in the car on the way here and it's chaos. And we get here, everybody's like, how you doing? You smile, fine, fine. But everybody comes in and really the hard heart had crusted over during the week. I said, I said Jeff, my goal for worship at Oakwood is that it would become the lubricant for the heart. It's where the heart starts to break and become soft again and allows the word of God to penetrate. I said, if I got up and preached and we didn't worship first, uh, we'd be some hard-hearted people that wouldn't be able to receive. And hopefully the lubricant affects the heart so that eventually we can say, whoa, what am I singing here? What am I actually saying to the Lord? And we begin to actually worship, a spirit of worship when we sing. And so that is our whole hope here at Oakwood. We hope that we bring you to the throne of God where you can worship Him. It's not about us, and we hope that we can disappear in the ether. I'm doing a fireside chat. That's why the fire's on the screen. I don't have a stool set on, so that's okay. Pretend I'm sitting. Um, a couple of things that we want to talk about. We have a national day of prayer coming up. I think, yeah, good. Uh, Thursday, May 4th, from 7 to 9 p.m. here at Oakwood Community Church. We're joining uh, in the national day of prayer. However, we've also uh, partnered with a local church who had a large goal. Their large goal was to find 10,000 churches to participate as one and the same uh, thing on the National Day of Prayer. By saying that, I'm first going to tell you that these cards are in the lobby, has a QR code. You can take this card and hand it to somebody that goes to another church. That's number one. They want Oakwood people to be handing these out to people that don't go to Oakwood and say, hey, would you consider telling your pastor about this and maybe they can join us? Now, it's getting late. We should have done this a month ago. Uh, but if you know somebody, maybe your uncle's a pastor or maybe you know somebody in Tennessee. It doesn't have to be in Michigan. It doesn't have to be in town. Maybe you know somebody that goes to another church. We want you to share this opportunity with them. All they got to do is scan the QR code. It'll tell them everything they need to know. And we'll all be meeting together seven to nine, not here at Oakwood, but in all of our different churches, and we'll be praying. And that brings me to the second part. We want you to come. 
on the National Day of Prayer, May 4th, to Oakwood to pray from 7 till 9. From 7 to 8, there'll be a little bit of worship. Again, the lubricant of the heart needs to be applied. And then we pray. And then we join, I believe, a live stream of uh, the church that's trying to get 10,000 churches to join together. And there'll be specific prayers. They have a whole program of, of things that we'll be praying for. Am I saying that all right, Roger? Okay, pretty much. Can you come up next week and, and give us a, a better, clearer picture of it? I'd love for you to do that. Um, but I, I wanted to give a shout out to that and say, let's get involved. Let's be involved. So two ways you can be involved there. Second thing is, thank you. Uh, I tell them all the time, I know ahead of time what I'm supposed to talk about, but when I get up here, I forget. So SOS, isn't it good to see that back on the screen? SOS is back. COVID's in the rearview mirror. We are looking forward, and it is time for our church to gather together to get out of these walls and be the church. And so we've reunited, uh, relaunching SOS stands for Serving Our Savior. And we're going to go to House of Providence, and we're going to do a spring cleanup for them. And so it's for all ages, from oldest to the youngest. Bring your kids with you. Nothing like having children and parents with rakes working together. And it's just going to be spring cleanup. You're going to want to wear gloves. You're going to want to be ready to get dirty. And we're just going to help the House of Providence with their many facilities spruce up and be ready for the spring. We're doing that on Saturday, May 13th. Uh, I think we're going to gather here at the church at 930. You'll get all the information. We'll gather here, have our meeting, and then head out to House of Providence We'll be done around 1 o'clock in the afternoon. This is not an all-day thing, but we're going to be just working hard for a couple hours, getting some stuff done for House of Providence. So join us. Try to put it on your calendar today. I know how things go. You'll get busy. You'll be busy on May 13th. If you're not busy right now, then you need to be busy doing this with us. Amen? Get it on your calendar and join us as we serve together. I love SOS and all that it provides. And I'm done with uh, the, the uh, fireside chat. However, I would echo what Ben said. Uh, parents and teens, eighth grade, going into high school, uh, beyond, uh, meeting tonight here in this worship center. Uh, I, I'm going to be talking about what you're probably concerned about. Everybody's probably like, there's no way I'm sending my kids to a city. I watch the news. Um, I want to remind you as a church, I've been to Chicago on missions trips over 12 times, have taken hundreds of students. I know the area. I know the streets there. Not only that, I know the director of this place who lives in that neighborhood. He lives there with his family. He knows exactly what we should and shouldn't do. So I just want to put to ease some of the fears Parents, come in here. Let, let me tell you what we're doing, where we're staying, what we're eating, how we're getting and what we're doing, all the what's and all the why's, uh, and then you can make your decision. Applications will be here. The medical liability release form, you can then as a family go home and make the decision. But do come to this. Don't rule it out. I'm pretty persuasive. So come and be a part of that. All right? Are we ready to pray us into this message this morning? Would you pray with me? You don't have to say anything out loud, but I'd encourage you to just talk to the Lord in your heart and say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, I pray that you would be glorified, that everyone hearing this would be edified and that Satan would be horrified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the series still, um, the implications of, you know, yeah, 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 run it. Go ahead and run it.
me I could go back and change some things, set things straight. I wish I had a do-over. I've made choices. I've lost out. I've wished a thousand times I could go back and try again. It's hard not to imagine what might have been. If I had just stopped to think. If I had just done as I was told. If I hadn't thought I knew it all. Why didn't I just take a few deep breaths? It took one second to listen. Maybe my life would be better. Maybe there wouldn't be such a high price to pay. Things would be different now. I wouldn't have so many regrets. But is everything lost? Can I just get a do-over? Is there a way back to new beginnings? Because regret can mean a new beginning. When it's given to the one who produces a repentance. A repentance that delivers me from my grief. The one who takes my mistakes. And somehow redeems me through them. Who tells me I'm not the sum total of all my regrets? Who tells me not to look back? Because there's nothing there to see. I am not my mistakes. He is faithful and just to forgive me. I just have to ask him. And then I can look straight forward. Forget what is behind me. And strain towards what is ahead. And walk away with all regrets erased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every day I'm given a clean slate. A clean slate? I get a clean slate. A clean slate. We're in the series called Implications of Easter, and we've been talking about uh, what, what's the difference? I mean, what's the so that, that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the empty grave? And we've been walking through this. Uh, you're going to turn in your Bibles and meet me there in a little bit. Romans chapter 8, uh, around verse 10. We're probably going to add verse 9. So go ahead and go to Romans chapter 8, verse 9, and we'll be there in just a second. I need to keep giving you the rundown. Maybe you missed and you weren't here, but I, in order to preach today's message, you've got to remember where we've been. And so the big idea for today's message is I can live free of the bondage of darkness and sin. Because of the resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to talk about sin today in our lives. Well, why are we going to talk about that? Well, we started talking about that snake in sin. Remember uh, Satan and original sin? We went to Genesis chapter 3. We learned that his approach was surprising and subtle. The strategy involved conversation and controversy. The conversation led to doubt and desire. And the result is collaboration and catastrophe. We learned that sin is a reality. And from the beginning, when sin entered the world, death by sin. Immediately the earth started facing consequences. Humankind immediately started facing consequences. Everything we know is cursed due to sin. That's the snake in sin. But then we talked about the snake and the Savior. If you're able to join us at Good Friday, we talked about how God sent his son to be our Savior. Jesus was both fully human and fully divine, but Jesus was never injected with the venom of sin. That's very important. He did not have a sin nature because of the fact that he wasn't born from man, he's born from God, and he didn't have sin. He didn't have the sin heart problem that we have from birth. And he lived a sinless life for 33 and a half years. He died on the cross in our place with our sinfulness. At that moment, he became all of our sin, which is unbelievable. 
Remember I told you on Good Friday, the verse that Jesus talks about with Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Well, the serpent in the wilderness was the source of the evil. (laughs) And Jesus had to be lifted up. The perfect one, the sinless one, the spotless one. He was lifted up as the one who was sin in our place. Then the death of Jesus was our propitiation, which means a sacrifice that appeases God's just judgment for our sinfulness. God has to judge sin or it wouldn't be justice. So God, it says, sin brings death. The penalty of sin is death, but I'm going to send my son who is no sin. He has no sin and he'll become your sin and die for you and for me. That's what happened. And it satisfied God's justice requirement and that brought us to easter sunday the savior and salvation the resurrection proved that christ was divine it proved that christ had power to forgive sin it revealed christ's power over death and it the resurrection defeated god's enemy remember the snake the bible said god said the snake will strike the heel but the son of man will crush his head So at the resurrection, we have both. Jesus died because the snake, the venom of sin, hit him on the cross. And and he did die, but he rose again and was able to defeat Satan once and for all. So I think you have a good flavor of where we've been. But now, knowing all of that and having me stand up and say, Jesus defeated death and sin once and for all, then how come we still sin? That should be the question on your mind. Why do we still sin? Why do I struggle Why is temptation overcoming me? Well, this morning we're going to talk about my salvation and my sin. Got all these S's. They've gone really well. I'm so excited about that. The snake and sin, the sin and the Savior, the Savior and salvation, and now my salvation and my sin. If I'm truly saved, then why do I continue to fail? Let's talk about it. There's two things about my salvation and my sin. Killing sin is the result and evidence of my salvation. Now hang with that thought for a little bit. Let us soak in. The word killing my sin is there because there is a major doctrine that's called the mortification of sin. It's been around for a long time. We don't talk about it very much in those terms because if I were to say I'm mortified, today in English you would think that that means embarrassed or shamed right oh i'm mortified anybody ever used that term before like oh i was mortified i did that in front of everybody i was mortified well that is a another spin on a term that did not mean that when we originally had the term mortification of our sinfulness to mortify in the 17th century english meant to kill or to put to death And it was John Owen that wrote an incredible book on the mortification of sin. And he said this. I'll synthesize it to one statement that John Owen said. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So on this first line, killing sin is the result and evidence of my salvation. I want to look at Romans 8 and verse 30. Romans 8 and verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. From the time of salvation to the time God calls us home, God is going to take care of that. It's not up to you. 
You don't have to maintain it. You don't have to keep earning it because we don't earn it in the first place. So when we talk about putting your sin to death in your mortal flesh, that is something you do as a result. Everybody say result. And it's the evidence, everybody say evidence, of my salvation. That's something that takes place in us because we believe. God ensures the chain will not get broken from justification to glorification. So we're saved, and then we start living more like Jesus and put our flesh, our sin. The biblical word for flesh is sarks. It's a great word, S-A-R-X. I love it. And we can't use that term today either because nobody knows that term. You can't go around and say, I'm struggling with my sarks. People would say, you got a hole in your sarks? What's wrong with them? You know, no, no. Sarks means flesh. I'm in my flesh. The result of salvation is I'm made new. Therefore, I began the process of killing sin. I used this before. I know you, you, you've seen me use this before, but I love this illustration. It was May 23rd. I was younger and thinner. And I had more hair. And this beautiful girl came in the back of the church. She walked down the aisle and her father gave her to me. And we stepped up onto the stage and Brian Spencer, Reverend Brian Spencer said, Don, do you? Julie, do you? I said, I do. She said, I do. After all the doo-doo was done, we were married. I have a video. And I remember him saying, and now I declare you husband and wife. On May 23rd, that many years ago, I became a husband. This ring reminds me of that. I mean, it was declared officially. And then we went into a room and we signed documents, you know, and Julie's like, oh, no, I got to sign Jackson. How do I write it? I didn't know. Every bride does that. It's funny. Every wedding I do, the bride's like, what do I sign? Do I sign my... I said, I declared you, and you got to do your new... And they practice on a napkin, and then we sign the document. And then I put it in the mail, and then it eventually ends up somewhere, and, they, and it's official. Now listen, May 23rd, many eons ago, I became a husband. But every day since, Julie's praying I've become a better one. Amen? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> now, if I snored really loud last night, and it kept her up, and it really annoyed her. She can't get up and say, we're not married. You did bad. I just, I'm, I'm angry. We're not married anymore. She can't, she can't do that. She can't just declare us not married. My actions can't make me unmarried. See, on May 23rd, many eons ago, all that I told you happened. This ring is evidence of that. It's, it's just the result of a ceremony and the evidence is I am a husband. But because of love, I want to become a better husband. Men, listen to me. If you're married, study your wives. Know your wives. Be better than you were yesterday and the day before and last week. Men, if you've been married 30, 40, 50 years, I hope you're a better husband today than you were that first week. Now all of that said, Christianity, I'm trying to explain to you, there's a moment in time when God, the Holy Judge, declares you saved. 
He says it. Whatever day it was, whenever it happened, whenever you said, God, forgive me of my sin, come into my life as Savior and Lord, God declares it. And, and actually, it's written in a book. The Bible says there's a book, Lamb's Book of Life, and it's written in blood, not in pencil. God's not up there erasing and rewriting and erasing every time you fail. No. You've been declared a Christian. But because of love, everybody say love. We learn to walk more like Jesus. It's not to keep our salvation effective. No, it's been declared. It's the evidence that there's love. It's the result of a vow that was said that we live the way we do. That's what we need to remember when we talk about being saved. Now, let me just say this, and I don't want to be harsh this morning, but I have to be truthful. If you are not making war on sin, not making a practice of killing sin, there is no evidence to think you are united to Christ in faith. This is the age-old struggle that people say, well, I have a son-in-law, and he said that he prayed a prayer and he got saved, but he's never acted like a Christian. He's never shown anything a day in his life. Pastor, is he saved? I don't know. that's a hard question, and it's above my pay grade. I don't get to tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, no, if he said a word or two, then he's definitely, no. Only God can declare somebody truly saved. Then all we see is evidence from that. I'm not being judgmental today, but, you know, I'm a U.S. grade uh, horticulturalist, and I'm just saying if there's no fruit, how do we know? It's not up to us to know, and it's not up to us to judge. So only thing that you can do is know about you. That's my best answer I can give somebody. Is so-and-so saved? They don't act like it. Well, what about, I don't know. Are you saved? What do you say? The Bible says his spirit will bear witness of my spirit that you're born again. There'll be evidence that comes from that. I'm just telling you today that if there's no evidence that anything changed or anything happened, then the question must be asked. But it's not for you to ask another person. It's for you to ask yourself. Between you and God, is there evidence that life has changed? I want to read Romans 8. I want to read 9 through 16. I know I said 10 through 15, but I, I got to reading and study, and I got to add a verse on either end. Romans 8, 9. You, however are not in the realm of the flesh, the sarks, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now you know this. Look me in the eyeballs. Take a look at that fast verse. What is the biggest word in that verse I just read? Remember you've been taught this. The biggest words in the Bible. What's the biggest word in that verse? If. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. You can see where John Owen years ago, wrote the book about mortification of sin. The Bible talks about our flesh must be put to death. There's a whole act of being saved and growing in righteousness. We're not talking about justification. 
Justification is the moment where God declares you saved. We're talking about sanctification. Becoming holy, righteous and pure. It's an amazing thing, the Christian life, that in a moment, God declares you holy, righteous, and pure. He'll deliver you holy, righteous, and pure, and then you spend the rest of your life in a battle. It's the way it is. Amazing paradox. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Everybody say obligation. But it is not to the sarks, that flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, the sarks, you will die. But if the spirit you put to death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Papa, Daddy, Abba, Father. Verse 16, it says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Can we know if anybody is born again? No. We can look at the evidence, but we don't know. But the Bible says, your spirit bears witness with his spirit that you're a child of God. That verse 16 is the whole reason why I'm a Christian today. Because I grew up in a Christian home and I said a prayer when I was four. My mom said I prayed a prayer by a bed, but as I got into my teen years, I didn't remember that at all, and there was no change or evidence, nothing real about my spiritual life. I hadn't passed from death to life because my spiritual life was dead. I'd been baptized as a little child, but his spirit was not bearing witness with my spirit that I was a child of God. Matter of fact, his spirit was driving me bonkers. I couldn't sleep at night. My spirit was at unrest because I didn't know if I was a child of God. I was concerned. I was worried, fearful. So when I was a teenager, I knocked on my my mom's bedroom at 2 o'clock in the morning, woke her up and said, I'm not saved. And she said, you said a prayer when you were four. I said, Mom, I know you told me that. I don't remember that. I just know. And you know what? My mom stopped trying to talk me into something that just wasn't there. And we looked into the book of Romans and we prayed together. I believe God saved me at that point, declared me. But I'm a knucklehead, pretty hard-hearted guy. I still struggled with addictions and sinful stuff. That's my journey. My journey is this book of Romans. My journey is, yeah, man, I thought I had it, but I hadn't been, so I did get it, but then I wasn't really living it. It's a mess. I'm a hot mess. Anybody say amen to that? And that's like life. It wasn't until I went to college that I finally had to, to put those things together and, 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 and make it make sense. And I finally said to God, God, I ask you to save me. And I think you saved me. I really do believe your spirit does bear witness with my spirit now, but I haven't been living that way. And then I surrendered my life to God. The process of mortification. So there's a result in evidence, but there's also killing sin is the effect, not the cause of my salvation. Everybody say effect. See, killing sin is the effect, not the cause. Don't get these backwards. So so important. Man, I I really struggled getting ready for this message because it's so difficult. These are are hard concepts. These are weighty, important issues that people get backwards. We put the cart in front of the horse, all these things. We we think, i got to clean up in order to get saved. No, you don't. God will do the cleaning up. 
The cleaning up is the effect of the salvation, not the cause. So we've got to make sure that we get these things accurate in our own lives. If we died to sin by being united with Jesus through his death and resurrection, we can't stay married to sin. Back to the marriage. That's why I use this. If you ask God to save you, forgive you of your sin, and you became a Christian, he became the Lord of your life. In a sense, you made a vow to him and to him alone. Just like during our vows, I like the old school vows. I really do. I like the old school vows in a wedding. Forsaking all others for her alone. Remember? Did anybody say that in your vows? You remember that? Forsaking all others. When we become a Christian, we made a vow to God, and then we start killing sin, mortification of our sinfulness, and then we vow to live for Him. Wow. Forsaking all others. Romans 6 and verse 2. By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, Scripture makes it very clear. It doesn't save you. But come on, Christian. You can't get on board and then run around at the same time. Forsaking all others for him and him alone. He is my Lord. He died for me. I'll live for him. Can I just make it that clear? He died for me. I'll live for him. If you don't got a tattoo, let's get it. He died for me. I'll live for him. It's a good motto, isn't it? I found this. It's a relief. Um, It makes me sound really artsy. I know that that's a relief. Uh, We were actually in Midland yesterday, and we were driving through, and there's a huge bronze relief, bigger than that wall there. It's huge. I looked at Julia. I'm like, when did that go up? That thing's huge. It's bronze, and it's a huge relief. Really, In other words, it's an impression. This isn't a painting, right? This is like a relief. And it's the Roman triumph by Jean-Nicolas Servandani. (laughs) And it, it depicts a typical scene of a Roman conquest. You see the, the, the king or conqueror on the horse up front, and behind him are the conquests of war. He is behind him are the generals and the soldiers that are now captive, taken captive, and are paraded through the streets of Rome. This is typically what happened in Rome when they had a victory. They want everybody to see our enemies are vanquished now. They are no longer in charge. We have conquered them. And I thought, how appropriate. Christ is our conquering general. The vanquished enemy is Satan, and his dark powers and authorities are the spoils of the battle displayed for the entire universe. You could take this relief, and you could say, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. The, the, the Satan has been conquered. However, we still fight a battle every day it's hard hard for us to grasp the implication of victory over sin we don't always see it feel it think or experience that freedom that the freedom won us on that cross sin death and evil have been conquered by jesus but we still must fight our battles and overcome our temptations amen so he won (laughs) and he's going to bring us to the end but in between time where we are today right now we must fight our battles And temptation is going to come. Temptation is not sin. That's the battleground for temptation. When we are defeated by sin, we go to the conquering general and we ask for grace. 
And he loves us. He's already paid the price for us. He'll forgive us our sins. And we go back to fighting the war of temptation. Interesting, I'm, I'm drinking out of the cup. Uh, the Moors gave me this coffee cup out of something I've preached. It's, uh, it says, Truth and Grace. And uh, I brought it specifically for this message today because it's, it's balanced there, both truth and grace. This past week, my son called me. And he says, Dad, I'm in trouble. Uh, I got a, a barnacle on, on Grandpa's truck. Let me tell you the backstory. story. Uh, Josh has a vehicle. Grandpa wanted to take that vehicle and get some work done on it. So Grandpa drove all the way to Grand Rapids. And he switched vehicles with my son. He left his ex- very expensive truck with Josh and took this junky car away for 24 hours. Now Josh wrote a note and put it in the front of the vehicle saying, my grandpa gave me this truck for 24 hours, my car, because they have parking passes. We pay for an under the garage parking spot for him in his apartment. We pay for that every month. And that's where his car goes, but no other car can go there. In my mind, I own that spot. If I want to put an elephant there, I should be allowed to. But no, not according to the rules. See, the law is only the car that's registered can park in this space. Well, Josh knew that, so he wrote a note. He thought that would suffice. It did not. They slapped a barnacle on his car. Have you heard about these? Old people, remember boots on the car, right? They put the, slap the boot on. Well, now they got technology. They put a large plastic thing that suctions to the front windshield that you cannot see around, so you cannot drive that car. And it sucks down to the vehicle so hard, you cannot remove it. But it's got a QR code. You scan the QR code, and you pay the fee, and then they give you a code. You punch in the code, and it unsucks, and you take it. And you got to deliver it back in 48 hours, or they charge you $2,000. So Josh is like, Dad, I'm in trouble. There's a barnacle on Grandpa's expensive truck, and I'm meeting him now. I need to, Dad, pay the fee. I'm like, okay, I'll pay the fee. How much is it? 160 bucks. What? He said, Dad, I've already fought with them. They don't listen to me. I said, why? There's going to be words. I was here at the church, actually. So I got up, and I looked at Melissa. I said, I'm going to close the door because there's going to be some yelling. I had a conversation with somebody who did not care. I did not win. I paid $160. He punched in the code. And I said, you go right and give that to them now. Do not pass go. I'm not paying $2,000. Go now. In my conversation, the lady said, you can dispute it. So I disputed it. I wrote a letter. And I said, now listen. I know you got rules. I'm asking for grace. Your rules were not followed. I I admit that. My son tried. He left a note. We pay for the spot. I'm just asking you for grace. 24 hours later, I received a letter. Don, your disputed matter is not agreeable. I want to remind you again of our rules. And they stated their rules again. I wrote him back, and I said, I asked you for grace, and you came back with your rules again. You don't understand what grace is. I say that because I paid $160, and it's worth the sermon illustration. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm getting at? beautiful thing about God is He is a God of law and order and justice. But he's a God of grace and mercy. 
So our obligation, according to Scripture, we fight a battle. We don't fight it alone. He gave us the Holy Spirit to walk along with us. The Holy Spirit should be shouting, don't go there. That temptation's coming. Don't do that. We have everything we need to win this battle. It's been defeated already, but yet we go to war daily, and we got the Spirit to live and win and be victorious, and yet we fail. When we fail, we go to the general and we say, I sinned, I fall upon grace. And he gives us his mercy and grace. I don't see any other way how you can leave here today but realize you're a winner. You're a winner. (laughs) Three things that will be done. So, PD, you've laid out the, the doctrine How do we learn to walk in freedom? Three quick points. Abide in Christ. Friends, there is no shortcut. We must abide with Christ. What does that mean? Live in Him. The Bible, that's the other big word in Scripture. If is a big word, but in is another big word. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. You can't be separated from Christ and call yourself a Christian. You can't be separated from Christ and have any hope of victory over sin. We must stay in Christ. In, in, in. Abide, abide, abide. Everybody say abide. Step number one, we abide in Christ every day. Stay close to him. Life dominated by the love of God is obedience. The opposite is, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? (laughs) We must abide in Christ. We must reject the sinful desires of that sarks. Oh, what a battle. Isn't it hard? A life dominated by the sarks and flesh. Living righteous in a state of being spiritually dead is like taking a corpse to dance. Let me, you know, did you hear me say that? Living your spiritual life in the flesh is like trying to teach a corpse how to dance. Who remembers Weekend at Bernie's? Us old people remember the movie Weekend at Bernie's. Remember those guys who Uncle Bernie died and they, they kept pretending he was alive. They kept moving his appendages, you know, even though he's dead, put sunglasses and the hat on and took him everywhere they went. And they kept, you know, Weekend at Bernie's. Bernie was dead, but they tried to make him look alive. How many Christians are walking around Weekend at Bernie's. You can't live the Christian life in a dead flesh. And yet the Bible says many people are. Many people say that they're Christians, but they do not know him, and God does not know them. So we're in a battle. We reject. You must start with new life to start rejecting sin. Friends, my... My hope and prayer today is that if you find yourself in a spot where you say, maybe I'm truly not born again. Maybe, I, maybe I've just been trying to be a Christian, but I've truly never received new life. You've got to start there. Without new life, it's impossible to live a Christian life. The Holy Spirit helps us, and we begin to walk and experience being more like Jesus. And lastly... We live a Christ-centered lifestyle. You've got to live it. Daily becoming more like Christ. It's, a, it's, it's like the story I read. And, and again, stories are, don't take this too far, but it's a great illustration of what I want to say. It's kind of a parable of today. It's said there was a beautiful girl, yet her issue was she had a disformed 
misaligned, massive nose. I know everybody's like, well, she needs to learn to accept herself or who she is. Knock it off. She couldn't get past her nose. She belonged to a European ruling class. And when she was old enough, she went and saw a plastic surgeon. And the plastic surgeon said, I can help you. And he went and did surgery on this tragic nose. And the day came for the bandages to be removed. And the surgeon came and removed the bandages and immediately realized the surgery was a wonderful success. There's some redness and swelling, but it's going to be amazing. Total transformation. And he brings the mirror. He's proud of his work. And he brings the mirror and he puts it in front of the girl. And as soon as she sees it, she breaks out in tears and said, I knew it wouldn't work. I'm ugly. I'm ugly. I'm ugly. And the doctor realized she couldn't see. So deep in her was the thought that she was ugly and it couldn't be fixed and so deep in her was that she was worthless she couldn't believe there had been a change she couldn't see what was right in front of her face now if you leave today wallowing in the guilt of sin and shame stop looking in the mirror and putting down what god has made right god has made it right You're a child of his. Yes, you're walking in the sarks, temptations all around. We do fall, but we get up again. We ask for grace and we move forward. Jesus said, go and sin no more. He didn't say, I know you fell. Go ahead and keep falling and falling and falling. No, he said, get up and stop sinning. (laughs) But you're beautiful. You need to know that. In God's eyes, you're beautiful because he made you right. Believe what? God says about you, not what your heart says about you. And if you've accepted Christ and asked him to forgive you of your sins, you've been made new. Sin's been forgiven. It's under the blood. Walk in the newness of a spiritual life. Let's pray. I'd ask the team to come join me on stage. Father God, we come to you and we pray. God, we're ashamed to admit we are sinful people. And temptation overcomes us. Sometimes, Father, we're not even fighting temptation. We bring it right to the house. God, sometimes we're trying and still fail. We ask for grace. We ask for mercy. God, I pray that you would uh, bless these people here today to A, know that they're truly born again. And if there is no evidence of that and there's no spiritual life, I pray they'd come to the understanding that maybe it's not true. I pray for people to be saved, genuinely, born again, made new, forgiven of their sins, justified, declared righteous, holy, and pure. I pray that first today. For those of us who've been forgiven of our sin and made new, God, I pray we'd start walking like we have a conquering general who went before us and defeated the enemy. And we can have victory. Help us, Father, to do battle with our flesh. Help us in that process of sanctification. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.